Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm here today with Zane Griggs, who is a personal trainer with a focus on health, lifestyle, diet habits, and uh, taking personal responsibility of your health. He's also a fellow podcaster, the Hunger Hunt Feast Podcast. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me on and uh, looking forward to this. This is fun to be on yeah, the other side likewise. of it, to be the guest. I don't right? Have to, yeah, I know. Same. I don't have to drive the show. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so you get to sit back a little bit and I will steer the ship this time. <laughs> so why don't we start for my audience, tell them a little bit about how you got into uh, the personal training, health, fitness space and uh, how that's evolved to what you're doing today. Well, you know, it's funny. I was, um, it was an area of personal interest. I just found myself every time I ran into a trainer asking him like 20 questions, you know, and very, just found myself personally very curious about it, both from a nutrition standpoint and, um, and I've been working out for a while. I mean, but, but I knew there was more to it. I knew there was more, um, to health and longevity. My, my goal was not so much about sports, but around, finding the ideal diet uh, for long-term health, you know, how to avoid disease as I got older. Um, and this was in my late twenties, I'd say. And um, I, I didn't really have a, a solid career <laughs> nailed down at the time. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know, this, I, I, lo- I like talking about this. I enjoy it. And I just went into it and I um, it got certified. And that's when you, you know, start learning is what you start working in the field and start working with a lot of different bodies and different people and, and find that not everyone's like you and not everybody <laughs> responds like you do. Right. And, uh, but I enjoyed the one-on-one interaction. I enjoyed getting to know somebody, figuring them out and helping them solve problems. And I, I just found that that was probably a bigger part of it. Yeah. At least a bigger part of it is looking, you know, my own personal interest, but also, um, helping people solve a problem mm-hmm. is very rewarding yeah. and just kept me going. And, right. and so it's, um, that's 23 years later, wow. I'm, um, still doing it <laughs> despite <laughs> sometimes big signs saying, what are you doing? Why are you still doing, you know, but, um, it's, it's just, it can be at times kind of a, an uphill battle to, to make a career out of that you know, where you're really significantly, you know, supporting family and so forth. And so, um, 
not that there haven't been other things along the way that that, that I, I've done until that I got to that point, but it was uh, it's an area where I, I can't seem to, I can't take my eye off. My personal interest is strongest, and so I, I have to count myself lucky that I'm able to do something that yeah. I have such a personal curiosity for. Yeah, absolutely. I it's interesting when you're saying like you're kind of a problem solver um, for a variety of, of uh, problems that arise, right? Because people are so unique. We're as intracellularly unique as we are externally different, right? Right. Our personalities, everything about us, we're all, you know, obviously there's, we're all human. We have lots of common threads, but right. there's definitely, you know, what's going to work for one person really might not work for another. And I always think that's really interesting, especially in the uh, fitness space, because people tend to look at someone and like they want to emulate them and they right. think oh well what are you doing you know I'll just copy that and yeah that may or may not work for you <laughs> right. and even if you have success with it you probably won't look like that person so right and you, you they underestimate how long it may take and how many other factors are they, they're looking at one factor many times instead of looking at the whole lifestyle or the whole you know everything it took to get to that point um where, where you know so nothing is nothing happens in a three-month period or a six-month I mean nothing of significance right so there, there's time and consistency that, that play into something and and, and and jumping on a quick uh program or whatever you know is not going to always bring you the the changes you want if you're not really committed to it you know long term so I mean, I hate to, and I hope that doesn't sound discouraging to people. It's like, you can make a lot of changes. You can really overhaul your health, but you have to be consistent over time and not expect instant changes in a 30 day or six week program or something like that. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. Which uh, the fitness industry does a lot of selling, right? There's they market, like the- they market well, they, they, yeah. they sell well. <laughs> But they great for but it's always be like and, you know this is the the twelve week program that's gonna completely revolutionize right. your health your aesthetics everything you ever wanted <laughs> right and that's yeah I, I hate that actually I I mean obviously that drives me nuts and I just can't even like I gotta blind myself as I go through the grocery stores to the magazines and 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 all the the the, the, the nutrition supplements calling out to people to say you know, eat this, drink that, and do this quick, and you'll be, you know, you'll, you'll look like this actor or this, you know, sports uh, celebrity. Um, Yeah, that kind of drives me nuts, because it's not reality. And most of us have to work. And if you have a family, you have responsibilities there and time commitments there. You don't have three, four hours a day, like that athlete or that celebrity to train and to and and have all the, the resources you what, what the reality of most people is you've got a very finite amount of time yeah. and you've maybe got a budget and you've got to make some food choices that work around your your life that work with your schedule and um that's that's where it becomes like how do we make this work for you mm-hmm. how do we fit this into your lifestyle without it where it's maintainable sustainable over time so it's not just you're not creating a part-time job for the person you're right. trying to make it work um where they see changes but they also feel 
different and their health markers improve. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it needs to and take their eye off merely the aesthetic. Right. And, and start looking at what really makes like look at blood work. Let's look at your triglycerides. Let's look at your fasting insulin. Let's look at um, how you sleep, how you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. because that affects all of those those uh other health markers and think about you know how, how are you gonna how is this your decisions making now gonna affect you 10 years from now or 20 years from now right. you know what's your health your increase your health span you know yeah. not just your lifespan but your your ability to prevent disease and not be on medications uh depending on medications to regulate your body functions you know like blood pressure and and mm -hmm. so forth and you know so that's, I love that. That's yeah. problem solving. That's yeah. helping someone take over their, take charge of their own health. Really. I love that. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I think more and more people are starting to be aware of just how important that is because, you know, the, I, I think people have been for so long programmed to think they have to be dependent on something and that, that that's just a byproduct of life, you know, that, you either have genetic factors or age will contribute and that we'll have to be dependent. And mm -hmm. I think that that's a, that's such a, a, you know, it's a misconception and mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be that way. You know, there, there's always circumstances that are outside people's control, but I think that one of the things I love so much about, you know, the fitness space is that it's the thing that we have, we actually have a lot of control over. It's something where we can take ownership of our health. Um, and do a lot to mitigate against even, you know, even some not so great genetic prognoses, right? right. You know, we actually have a lot more because there's genetics, there's epigenetics. And so we can manifest right. the expression, right? So I'm really curious uh, when you work with people, what have you experienced to be twofold? Like, what is the biggest challenges that you come up with that, against with them? And mm -hmm. how do you work with that? <laughs> yeah wow that could that could really vary from individuals so a lot of times is what is their conception about um about food what their ideal diet is mm -hmm. so it's their own misconceptions many times about what is healthy and what's going to make a change and that's broad i know that's a broad thing to say, but it's yeah. it's like what diet or, or ideal concept has been driven into their mind either through marketing or through a doctor or through um, just all of the mixed messages that are coming at them right. and, uh, unpacking that and helping them have a new paradigm mm -hmm. about their health, about how they're supposed to eat, how often they're supposed to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, as well as on fitness, uh, many times people think they really have to like beat themselves up to see yeah. an improvement and to, to make a change and they're like you know it's all about 80 percent of their change is going to come from how hard they work how often they work out and 20 percent is maybe diet and it's completely the opposite, the opposite. yeah um and and changing that paradigm changing the mental mental shift so they embrace uh, at least get closer to what uh is really going to impact their body so they're not discounting the things they're putting in their mouth throughout the day at the office or in the kitchen and then when they're making, doing their kids lunches or whatever it is or the the late night snacking and they they tend to discount the impact of what they put in their mouth and over um 
overemphasize, over rely on making up for it or punishing themselves in many times right. with exercise. And that's just what we've been sold. That's just, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's a concept that we've been given and, and it's been portrayed to us, even on television, even oh. in the shows we've watched about weight loss. Right. It's punishment, it's, it's uh, degradation. It's like, let's insult them. Let's, let's yell at them. You let's, worked on a show, right? I did. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't on camera. I was like the gardener in back right, right. doing the stuff to make it look. So I was on Extreme Makeover Weight Loss. I worked mm -hmm. with Extreme Makeover, Extreme Makeover Weight Loss Edition mm -hmm. to basically, uh, there were one, or, there were two different um, contestants, season one, season four, that lived here in the Nashville area that I would go see them maybe four or five times a week okay. to help them with their workout, help them figure out diet, get to keep them on track, weigh them, um, send in feedback to the show um, and be there for emotional, moral support. Uh -huh. um, uh, one was a full season, season one, and the other was like uh, season four. Um, it wasn't working out with the trainers he had or the situation they had. So he had, they, they said call Zane and so, I was able to stick. He was getting multiple trainers at this one facility and it just wasn't working. So I just could wow. stick with him as his guy through the last four months or so to help him hit that goal. They had a goal of losing half their body weight in, in a year. And if you start off over 400 pounds or close to 500 pounds, that's a lot of weight to lose sure. in, a, in a year. Yeah. Um, so, but it was not, uh, it was certainly not like uh, Biggest Loser style where we were like, killing them and yelling at them and you know you know being just you know braiding them and, and telling right. them what horrible people they were um at least that was not my approach <laughs> right yeah. right okay um that's and those good. were the, with those two people so i mean i think I, that's I, always the best strategy but yeah <laughs> I, I, i'm not a, i'm not an abusive person i'm really not i like to you know uh it, it's not fun that way i like to help them understand because they're going to see me an hour or two a day yeah. Even for them, seeing me two hours a day for five days a week, they can undo that on their own very quickly. Yeah. The and wrong. I think also when it's, you know, when that's the attitude, when it when they go somewhere to be, we'll, we'll say like abused and berated, and then that doesn't teach them sustainable uh, lifestyle habits. You know, it teaches them no. to have, you know, like all, all these negative emotions that attached to something they're doing that should be positive for their health and their longevity and their well-being right. right so they should be right. having a positive association with that not you know that this can only work in a negative uh reinforcement scenario so well yeah in many cases these are people who are medicating pain with food mm -hmm. we all have things we medicate pain with we all have addictions right or or tendencies toward a particular addiction or two sure. um and we're and that is always driven by some sort of pain or trauma from life that we're trying to deal with sure and uh, <laughs> being verbally abusive is not helping that <laughs> situation you, you know it's like hey there's another way to handle and well i wouldn't get i wouldn't get into this the psychology of whatever their pain was but i would just try to help them understand hey this is going to help you achieve this goal and hopefully the goal the desire to achieve that goal of losing their body weight and they're on camera so there's pressure there they got producers putting pressure on them from right. the TV, TV producers for TV show to perform because they want a good show. And that's all the producers cared about. Right. Now, the host uh, uh, of Extreme Makeover, he's a great guy and he loves people 
and he's always helped people through his entire career. Yeah. But he had to deal with TV producers that wanted the show. Right. So fortunately, we had that in that um, he was he understood he could he could be that buffer for them, and he 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 knew they they knew he cared about them. Um, but when they're dealing with trauma and they're medicating with food, they might find something else. But the, the, the point is, you know, two hours a day, five days a week, and then maybe doing some more cardio later that day. I mean, they were doing a lot of exercise. Yeah. They could easily undo that if for some reason they had a, a bad day, a bad moment, they felt bad about themselves, they decided to medicate again with mm-hmm. the food. You can un- undo three hours of exercise very quickly. Right. With with a with the wrong meal, with just a binge session of food. Right. And that's not <laughs> that's not gonna help you get anywhere. That's not gonna if, right. if you're if you're uh, aggravating that trauma right. or that that self, you know, hate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, or that negative feedback loop too, right? Because exactly. it's a, then they get into that that whole like guilt cycle, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, then you spiral. And then they don't feel like they have any control. Yeah. And and that's the antithesis of what you're trying to teach them is that you can build habits that you actually have some control over. So, yeah, because a lot of them needed needed to keep going even after the show, Mm -hmm. not only to maintain the the weight they've lost, but to continue to lose some would have been beneficial to them because their body needed to continue to heal after all those years of abuse food abuse you know right um but and and so you hope that happens but a lot of them went went right back to where they were a lot of them put the weight back on um because you know it wasn't a habit change you know it was a that goal was gone that pressure from the show was gone and if they didn't totally internalize it as this is how i want to this is the the kickstart to change my life my health Mm -hmm. then um, they probably didn't continue. Right. And that's, that's really hard to convey. Sure. And so that's why I say that the paradigm around the heart, I mean, the original question was, yeah, we went on a bunny trail. Sorry. What's the hardest thing to overcome? It's like, it's, it's that it's their idea about food. It's their idea about, um, um, exercise and, and the relationship there, but also their own relationship with food mm-hmm. and with their health. Right. And what they believe about what they actually can control or what the, you know, um, if, if there's any of those negative feelings or if they're, they're medicating, that's a, right. that's a, you know, that's a, that's a huge hurdle. And in many cases, when someone's got to the point where they're, you know, obese, that is certainly a factor, Right. you know, they're, they're, they're hitting, they're getting dopamine hits from their food source, from processed right. food. Right. And it can be as simple as moving away from processed food to, in, in, a, in a behavioral sense, mm-hmm. processed food to whole food will make a huge difference sure. for just about anybody. Yeah. I mean, um, and, and then you you let the body start to catch up and, and, and heal itself and hormonally get hormonally balanced again, right. uh, where it will actually start to burn fat and they won't be so hungry all the time. Um, right. But that that is a paradigm shift around food, around exercise and the relationship with those, with those uh, tools, mm-hmm. really. I think uh, it's interesting because you talk about there's, there's so much to unpack in terms of the 
processed foods. Um, but the one thing that's really simple about it, though, I think one of the things that people don't really acknowledge is that processed foods are such an instant gratification. You know, as yes. human beings, we are, our bodies have not really evolved in thousands of years, you know, but our lifestyle has, right? Technology, things are very accessible, things are mass produced. We didn't have access to processed food thousands of years ago. And so we had to hunt and gather. We actually had to work really hard for our food. And right. even now, you know, most people don't have, for non-processed foods, most of them require a lot of preparation. You have to cook, you have to, you know, plan, you have to, even like fruits and vegetables, you have to wash and prepare and, right? right. So I think just that alone, that shift from the, you know, that instant grabbing, it's kind of mindless uh, to that preparation, because then you're, um, it's very nurturing. I think that that component of preparation sure. and, you know, that, that, the reason people avoid it is actually par partly what's really healing. So I think that shift sure. alone is, uh, in, you know, aside from what's negative in the ingredients of processed food, but just that process itself, because like some of our digestion actually begins with, you know, our olfactory sense, like people don't even realize that, or like the tactile sensation sure. of, yeah, you know, that triggers a uh, digestive processes and people, you know, we don't think about that <laughs> because no, our no, yeah, we, modern day we, lifestyle. Yeah. And and that, but that affects our gut. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And being connected yeah. with our food and understanding where it came from, not having the extra additives. People don't realize the difference just because it looks the same. Mm -hmm. The restaurant food versus what you make at home. There's a huge difference in what's in there. Yeah. And and how it affects your body. But the, the idea of a processed food being it's usually a conglomeration of, it comes out of pack, like a package, some sort of box, bottle, bag, right? And it's, a, it's usually a mix of processed grains, sugar, and uh, industrial oil, seed oil. So like canola, cottonseed, soy oil, all those things that have been processed. And, and usually it's at least two, if not all three of those into one item. Okay. And that triggers our dopamine greatly because of all the energy it's energy dense it's energy rich nutrient poor so not very satisfying but right. gives us a lot of energy where that's why you can eat a whole bag of chips right. energy dense not much nutrition yeah right so you're not getting the satiation from really a whole food you're not getting the nutrients in it you're not getting and and there's a, just a ton of energy that your body's like okay we have carbs we got fat there's almost no protein lots of salt Lots of, which stimulates our taste buds. And then uh, and those oils are very inflammatory. The sugar is very inflammatory. The processed grains are very inflammatory. You, you got inflammation coming through your body in addition to the fact that you just wanted to store fat. So it wants to store this energy because like you mentioned, our bodies uh, over the, the, the thousands of years have been having to hunt and gather and get food that was not very energy dense. But, it, but we got the most nutritious what we, we could find. Right. It's not used to having that much come in that quickly and that easily. And so when we get it, our brain's like, eat this, store it. We, right. we don't know when we're going to do another starvation phase again. Let's eat this and store it as quickly as we can. We have this much energy coming. Hang on to it. And it feels good. Like mother's milk is the best example of it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of protein or a lot of carbs, a lot of fat, some protein, but it creates growth for this baby because it's growing so quickly 
-hmm. it needs a very energy dense food right and it hits its dopamine receptor so it tells it hey you need to eat so this is this is great for a baby that's growing <laughs> faster than you know and it needs extra fat for warmth because it, it can't move it can't trigger its own heat right but once we get to a point where um we're not baby we can chew we can we can digest food um real food should come in and of course as adults the last thing we need is a bunch of energy dense food coming into our body right. that is um give not giving us nutrition so right. the baby right. most folks give nutrition needs we're not in a growth phase anymore we should right. not supposed to be right but we put ourselves there through the 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 composition of the food we're shoving in our mouth. And that is right. why they design processed food that way. Because it yeah. creates consumption, a mm -hmm. drive for consumption. Ah, interesting. Because I was going to ask you, your thoughts on like, do you think this is by design? You know, the way that- Oh, it's absolutely eat? by design. Yeah. No, there's food scientists who create like um, a bliss. There's a bliss point. Maybe heard there's some documentary that covers a bliss point. Sweet, so it makes it sweet enough to stimulate. Oh, I want more of this, but not so sweet that you're gonna go, whoa. whoa. You know? Or like in a bag of um, like spicy Doritos, for instance, mm -hmm. where you have like a super super uh, you know kind of hotter than normal, but they'll alternate. The chips will be some spicier and some not so spicy. You're always chasing, whether it's conscious or unconsciously. You'll have one that's kind of spicy, and the next couple might not be that flavorful, and then the uh -huh. next one is. So it's psychological. You're chasing that next stimulation of your taste buds is on a heightened level. Okay. You're chasing the next high. Yeah, essentially. That's fascinating. Essentially, but in taste. And they design it that way. Absolutely. Rob Wolf, actually, I don't know if you're familiar with Rob yeah, Wolf. Yeah, yeah, I am. So he was a food scientist once upon a time before he mm -hmm. got where he, he was in that food science range. And he okay, actually contacted okay. Doritos and said, hey, are you doing this on purpose? Is this how you actually, oh yeah, they love him. The food scientists are like, oh, it's Rob Wolf. They got excited at Doritos. I'm like, yeah, hey, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. We're, we're well, they alternate. It's a, it's a, like an alternate gratification. Yeah, yeah. Of the stimulation. So you're looking for the next one. It's, yeah. It's like the, I don't know, the mystery hunt. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. You're hunting. Yeah, you're hunting. Interesting. Yeah. Which, yeah, which mimics our uh, ancestral biological instinct. Yeah. 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 Instinct. Flavor. Oh, more flavor. Oh, another rich food flavor. But then we, we miss it. We go to, people, the same thing with drugs. Sure. You have yeah. a great, great, clean high. And then the next time they use the same drug, it's maybe not as good, maybe not as clean. And then they chase the next one. And then, it's it's just how we're wired right <laughs> right um yeah so what do you you deal a lot with like preventing metabolic disease and you know there's and reverse it's, it. it's yeah. increasing like you know exponentially it seems um and it, actually i think this part's pretty interesting you know you would expect it in people who might have poor lifestyle habits and who are you know, overweight, inactive, um, mm -hmm. but, and, you know, we're seeing metabolic disease in people who externally don't appear like they would. Um, we see that as well. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, you can still have poor lifestyle choices because of the abundance of processed foods. Um, right. So it doesn't necessarily manifest itself externally um, in everyone. But I, I'm curious your experience in working with people uh, on, on that, you know, and how you, yeah, what you've seen 
and it's it, you know 80 the estimate is about 85 percent of the u.s adult population is insulin resistant and there was, there was actually a study out of um university of north carolina that showed you know, i think it was 88 percent had metabolic disease their study showed 88 percent. so there's consistent wow. studies showing more than 80 percent of the population has a problem with metabolic disease or insulin resistance Wow. And there's a lot of undiagnosed diabetes, which we saw come out during COVID. We saw a lot yeah. of people finally going to the doctor, finally getting, and, and, and diabetes and insulin resistance. And it's very high correlation for, uh, you know, intolerance. Or bad COVID. outcomes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I've got a whole article there that explains why. Um, okay. Because of the, it, 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 that's a bunny trail. <laughs> okay. We'll but, go to that after because I want to hear about that. <laughs> but um, so 85% are insulin resistant. So that means that their body isn't responding, their muscles aren't responding, or muscle or liver or fat tissue in some form are not responding to insulin trying to move blood sugar into those tissues. So their blood sugar stays high. Now, that's it's usually caused by too much blood sugar all the time and some is like the no the nagging neighbor constantly knocking on your door and you just stop answering well when those tissues get so full and you they keep bringing blood sugar to them like we don't want anymore so then your body increases its insulin level that's putting out to to try to shove that that, that sugar into those tissues mm -hmm. to create a greater res response and it's just a cycle yeah and so you've got to break that cycle by by cutting back on the blood sugar and the, and the inflammation. Um, what you mentioned with people who don't always look that way, we are all a little different in that some people put on fat very well. They, right. they Usually Northern Europeans or Europeans will tend to have very, what we call healthy fat cells where mm -hmm. the fat cells will either double or expand very easily without causing disease until a certain point. Whereas then we, we see in some, um, these are genotypes, phenotypes. So these are S, these are kind of, I, I don't want to say it in like, there's hard walls between right, these, sure. but generally speaking, people of Asian, East Indian descent um, will see, will, might have fat cells with a lower, what we call a lower fat threshold, mm -hmm. where um, they, they, they're, they're subcutaneous fat. So found in their arms, legs, the billowy fat that's under the skin. Right. Uh, that hits a threshold at some point where it becomes diseased sooner than maybe a, a, someone from a Northern European descent. And they won't replicate fat cells as well. So those fat cells get sick and they start spilling out fat and inflammatory proteins into, the, uh, into your system, which goes to the liver. And you start putting on the visceral fat. Now, the visceral fat is what's so dangerous. That's what's right. so hormonally, metabolically um, detrimental and active. That's where you start getting liver fat. You start getting liver insulin resistance, the liver and the, and the, um, and fat gathering around the kidneys, heart, pancreas. And we see that organ dysfunction mm -hmm. and the, and the hormone imbalances more so with that visceral fat than we do from the fat that's under your skin, the fat under the skin that we want to get rid of before we go to the beach. Really? I mean, unless you have a lot of it, unless you're like obese, severely overweight or obese has not a lot of hormonal impact, but the fat in your liver, around your liver and, and, and pancreas and kidneys, you don't have to be overweight for that to have a hormonal impact and, and create what you mentioned, the metabolic disease and the insulin resistance. So we do see a lot of, whereas India, known for being vegetarian largely for certain regions, sure. but largely vegetarian, not what you would call an obese population, but there you mm -hmm. see a lot of what we call 
um, central obesity where they have just a midsection with mm -hmm. weight, but their arms and legs might be thin and they look, they're probably of normal weight. Right. Um, but their, their diabetic rate is 25% as well. And they have 25, 30% uh, pre-diabetes. So very wow. similar to the US, even though we have a higher obesity rate, right. they have the metabolic disease and diabetes is, is equivalent. Wow. And China is seeing the same thing as more and more fast food is coming into, um, into China being available in Beijing, Hong Kong. So we're seeing more and more diabetes on the rise there. So you got the sodas, you got the fries, you got the, a, a change in their diet causing yeah. what used to be a fairly healthy population. Mm -hmm. They're seeing the increase of metabolic disease and diabetes as well. Uh, but India is an incredible example of, yeah. of that, of where it's really, it's been growing for a long time. Uh, Middle East as well, you're seeing some of that because they drink, they tend to drink a lot of sodas. It's hot. If they're Muslim, they probably don't drink alcohol. So you see a lot more soda consumption. Um, right. And so you, so it's as the West invades with our marketing and our food, <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more disease like what we see here. Fascinating. Um, I, you know, as you're talking about these, the lifestyle changes, the diet well, changes that, you know, westernization of, uh, you know, dietary norms. Um, I, I'm thinking about how during COVID, you know, they, when they did these lockdowns, like they, they shut down all the gyms. They, they oh, opened yeah. up the, the liquor stores were open. The donut shops were open, you know, but like a lot of the, you know, smaller, like local produce places were not, uh, right. you know, a lot of the, um, yeah, more of the healthier options wouldn't, weren't, weren't accessible because they were the smaller, sustainable, local uh, businesses. And, right. and Uber Eats was thriving because you yes. can just get whatever you wanted delivered to your door. And how easy is it on, on your phone when it's, you know, you're just flipping through, oh yeah, I'll take, let's add that on, let's add that on, let's add that on. And it shows up. So add on the crumble cookie, add on the, you know, so yes, it got too easy to get yeah. food that probably wasn't, like you said, from your local grocer, just from right. a restaurant food every day, right? Yeah. Sure. So it so, really changed and, the way we eat. Yeah, and I, I, you, you were saying that you did several articles on this. I know they were, they were showing there was a very high correlation between uh, diabetes and it was one of the highest oh. comorbidities. Oh, for, right, right. comorbidities was was yeah. seventy to eighty percent of those in the ICU were obese, overweight, um, diabetes. Well, hypertension, which is usually driven by insulin resistance as well, so high blood pressure. Um, and they saw this all, all over the world, Italy, England, Spain. I mean, they, they, they surveyed this in multiple countries that it was the overweight the, oh, and obese, especially. If you're obese, it was 90% likely. If you got COVID, the ICU, you know, you, you're 90% likely you're going to end up in the ICU. So you're, you're, that's who was often... Um, and, and yeah, people say, oh, they were healthy. They were oh, a young, healthy person. You look at that, you see them and there's the central obesity or you had a young person. Some they were even saying this about young people who were truly overweight. Oh, a young person with COVID, suffering with COVID and the person's obese. It's, a, it's an obese young person. So obesity 
was, I mean, 70% of the people who died from COVID had at least one form of, of hypertension, obesity, or diabetes. Wow. And you put two together, and there's several, many of them had two. So right. had two of those together, because usually they go hand in hand. Right. So that was a major player, I would say, okay, so I'm going to be a little controversial and say, um, I would say your metabolic health is probably gives you a greater outcome, greater um, indicator of your outcome with COVID than your vaccination status. I, yeah, that, that seems to be, that seems to be accurate based on the evidence. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'd be inclined it, to agree with you. Yeah. When you see vaccinated, we see articles and studies showing the vaccinated can share, can, can spread the virus and have similar viral loads as the unvaccinated. Right. And can give it to their members of their household. Which the unvaccinated cannot do, or, you know, the uninjected, because, yeah. But they well, can't. If, you, if, you, if you're, if you, yeah, if you've recovered from COVID and you're yeah. unvaccinated, there's no, the CDC has no record of that kind of being transmitted person yeah. spreading transmitting the disease yeah. right yeah there's no there's no record um right. if it's your first um if you're sick with it first time yeah. as an unvaccinated person they're showing similar viral loads as someone who's vaccinated who has it because we all know the vaccinated people can get it yeah. and so similar viral load levels similar you know your first um uh infection excuse me then that's equal if you yeah but they just did the, the FOIA Freedom of Information Act you know uh request you, I'm sure you saw that yeah and CDC no record of a unvaccinated person who's recovered from COVID so natural immunity spreading yeah. a virus right um from I had it it was I didn't realize I had it at the time yeah. I realized later because I saw <laughs> I had antibodies uh -huh. it was three days of a stuffy nose and uh, like yeah. some coffee I basically had flonase and saline that was my treatment <laughs> I, I worked I out friend. two days and fast the third and I was that was it and I went, hey I think that was wow. COVID. So, <laughs> I had a friend who had that the similar symptoms she's like this is kind of embarrassing she's like that's it <laughs> I I actually got sick um I, I was yeah. sick for a while yeah but you know I it, I, I, it's not the first time I've been sick. It probably won't be the last time. And, you know, I'm here to tell. So, yeah. Right, right, right sure. <laughs> so, what, they've, what they found is the, um, the obesity mm -hmm. uh, actually is, allows, creates inflammation in the body. Right. So, because it puts out these inflammatory proteins sure. and uh, affects lymph drainage, affects immune system, right. um, affects, I mean, the leptin resistance that comes from, which just hormone resistance. Um, insulin resistance, leptin resistance affects the antibodies, so they have more inflammatory proteins and the ACE. I don't know if you heard about the ACE2 receptor, sure. So that's uh, more prevalent. ACE2 activity mm -hmm. is upregulated in, in fat cells, mm -hmm. so there's more ACE2. So the ACE2 uh, enzyme is what helps deliver the virus into the cell, delivers this virus into the cells, ACE2 mm -hmm. receptor. There's yeah, more of that. There's more, yeah, there's more of that um, enzyme activity in a fat cell than there is in a lung cell. Wow. So, right. And the lungs are the highest, uh, the cell that has, uh, the organ that has the highest ACE2 receptor. That's why so many people are mimicking uh, respiratory uh, symptoms right. uh, or respiratory infection. It's, it looks like that because they're the highest uh, 
uh, ACE2 enzyme activity. Yeah. yeah. But in this, there's a recent article showing there, um, there's more activity in in the fat cells. So especially, it, wow. so so if you have a normal or le, you know body fat normal, you're not going to have as many of them. But if you're overweight or obese, you're going to have right. more of these receptors. So they, they're seeing the activity more in adipose tissue and the fat tissue than in lung cells in these obese wow. individuals. So that's why they would be more susceptible to it. And if that obesity is maybe not necessarily in subcutaneous fat, but it might be in the visceral area and around your organs, right. well, that if the fat's around your organs and the enzyme is in that fat and it's shuttling that virus in there, you've got all of these, it's right by your organs. I mean, it's going to affect right. your kidney, your liver, kidneys, lungs, heart. I mean, yeah, it's like it was well-designed to take down um, a metabolically unhealthy population. Right, right. It does seem that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, one, one, one might draw that conclusion. It would be, yeah. One could, and I'm not. I'm just, I'm yeah. just saying it's, it's, you've, got, you've got a virus that hits people completely different based mm -hmm. on their metabolic health. Right. So Not in every case, but in a but large, in a large if you look percentage. at the big numbers, yeah, right. That seems to be a, a, a strong indicator of your outcome. Right. So, because it does seem to be, but this is something that people can do something about, right? So, what can people do to uh, prevent or mitigate or uh, reduce their, or if they already have it, insulin resistance, and either prevent metabolic disease or reverse it if they have it. So it's like kind of what we've already discussed is really mm -hmm. moving towards whole food. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, 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 and that is, um, and away from processed food, limit processed food as much as, as possible. So okay. um, meat, fruit, mm -hmm. veggies, really being the bulk of your diet, you know, so right. fish, meat, whatever, eggs, whole food, get protein, those, those fats that are in there, as well as, um, you know, for carb sources, your fruits and veggies, if you're going to potato, that's certainly better than pasta, bread, donuts, bagels, cereals, right. which are basically made up of those three ingredients I mentioned, processed grain, sugar, and oils right. with a very little nutrient density and a whole lot of energy that mm -hmm. just our bodies just soak up and, and stick to and, and, and in flames. Um, any, those oils create a lot of inflammation in our body as well. I heard so that. I'm so sorry. I heard that those seed oils can stay in your body for two years. I mean, that's horrifying. That's probably an average, but yes, I mean, you're, you're going to store them, right? That's and, horrifying. They're in everything these days. Yes. They're except in the whole everything. Food. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, so basically you can look at these oils. Well, if I, you know, the, these oils have been extracted from something we don't usually take oil from. A right, cotton right. seed, a soybean, corn, those are not sources of oil we normally think, or fat, right? Nut, right. we think of a nut has fat. That's not, and if you eat that nut with the fat in it, it's probably solid and stable. But right. once they extract these oils, they're very unstable. They're highly, they're easily oxidized. They usually start oxidizing very quickly. The oxidation like rust or oxidation, is, it creates inflammation. And then once it gets into our bodies, 
the effect is to continue to oxidize and create inflammation in everything it touches. It's killing the steel electrons. So it's, 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 and they're very unstable because they're unsaturated. They're polyunsaturated oils, right. which means polyunsaturated is unstable. A stable fat is a saturated fat. It can't yeah. have other, like, um, doesn't have what we call, I don't want to get too technical down this, this road, but they have the double bonds. You can, you can, if someone's go deep in this, they can start looking for it, but it's, it's, uh, these stable fats have double bonds or saturated fats. They don't have open places for other, um, um, atoms to, to latch mm -hmm. on. All right. saturated fats have open spaces for, for the, uh, hydrogen atoms to, to lock. So it's, you and have, so they can break uh, off easily. Yeah. They break off easy. And so you get mm -hmm. oxygenation mm -hmm. on there, which creates inflammation. So you get these right. random, like, uh, um, a free radical essentially is what you're creating is free radicals yeah attaching to your fat cells and you've got oxidized fat and that oxidized fat is very inflammatory and that's what usually ends up collecting in our in our arteries not big fluffy cholesterol that's healthy that came from that whole food steak you ate or from the eggs you ate or from the the nuts you ate it's from usually from these oils or from an abundance of sugar so when we eat a lot of sugar, we also, we, our body, um, when our liver is like, hey, I'm done, I can't handle any more sugar, it starts turning that sugar into fat. I can't, liver can only store so much sugar in it, glucose in it. And so it starts turning into fat. And when it gets an abundance of like an insulin resistant environment, um, it'll start offloading that fat to other places in our body. And it packages them what we call triglycerides. Now, if you get blood work, you've seen triglycerides. So it, yeah. that's a fat molecule. So the liver packages that, triglyceride in an LDL particle. Think of an LDL as like a delivery truck. That's all it really is. Mm -hmm. And we need them. We need LDL to deliver antioxidants like A, D, E, K, those central vitamins, cholesterol that we need all over our body. That's healthy. That's what it's for. Sure. But it, um, but when you have a lot of triglycerides, that LDL particles will, will deliver a large LDL cargo with a very small amount of cholesterol in there. Once it dumps off that triglycerides fat cell somewhere for storage, that LDL is still running around with a very small amount of, of um, cholesterol, and it's considered a small, dense LDL particle. Those are what gets caught. Those small, dense ones get caught in our arteries. where We have inflammation in our arteries. Mm -hmm. They're bouncing along, and they get caught in the cracks and fissures of, of our endothelial tissue, of our arterial tissue. Right. Um, so if you already have inflammation there from a high insulin level, which would cause inflammation or some sort of, uh, or a lot of sugar, and you've got the repair process going on, trying to patch that stuff up. And you have this little small, dense LDL particle kind of bouncing through, trying to figure out where you're supposed to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, then that's what gets caught up in the repair process of these plaques, building the plaques. So that's why we have cholesterol there. Right. If you don't have an insulin resistant environment and you're not putting out a whole bunch of triglycerides. Right. And you're just sending out these large, fluffy LDL particles full of cholesterol. Large, fluffy particles mm -hmm. are, are not going to fit in a crack and fissure. They just bounce on by like a tumbleweed. They're just going as opposed to a little pebble. Right. What's getting caught in a crack in the ground? Stuck. Yeah. A pebble or a tumbleweed? That's the difference. <laughs> okay. I haven't thought of that analogy before. I'm not sure why it came to me. But that's <laughs> I like it. In terms of a pebble or a tumbleweed, what's going to get caught in a crack in the ground? Right. It's, it's sure. So 
we we're, we have this fear of cholesterol. We have this fear of red meat. We have this fear of fat. I was just thinking that. I'm like, all these things they told us were bad for us, right? Yes. Saturated yes. fats, right? Remember that whole thing? Saturated fats are deadly and, yep. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're really, um, that's about all I eat. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if you look at and meat, meat, for instance, is so vilified. What's the, what's the, what do they say yep. is the healthiest fat? To eat is monounsaturated, right? Every, every, both sides, most people say monounsaturated is not going to be harmful. It's like what's in olive oil, it's what's in avocados. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, in red meat, about 50% of it's 45, 50% of it's saturated, mm-hmm. and about 40% of it is monounsaturated. Right. So you have a lot of that healthy fat that they tell you that is the that the other side tells you is the best thing for you to have. Um in red meat, in chicken, in pork, in mm-hmm. fish, it's there all, yeah. already. It's not, this is not, there's no such thing as a, a purely saturated fat. It's always a blend of things, right? right? Here's the point. That fat in that animal has not been processed. Right. The fats they're telling you to eat and cook with the, the cooking oils, the Crisco's, the, the, your, the fat that's cooked, your, all your food is cooked in, in a restaurant mm-hmm. or it's packaged in, read the label of anything in a package that's going to have modif- you know, some sort of uh, soybean oil, cottonseed oil, corn oil, canola oil, all these oxidized oils yeah. that have been processed, that's inflammation. That's free radicals in your body. Right. And, and I, I, I mean, I, can, I, I hate to go on a rant about that, but those things are no. so under- um, underestimated. Yeah, we've had a focus on sugar for a long time, which is great, and mm-hmm. it is uh, you know in in its in the dosage it, you can you can handle a small amount of it, but once you're insulin resistant, you need to really limit your sugar. Right, right. And in a large doses for most of us, like just straight up candy, obviously, it's, it's not good. It's bad for us, right? The, right. the poisons in the dose. These oils, these extracted oils, they're no good at all at, at all. any point. You don't want them in your body at all. And uh, you want to avoid them at all costs. And so if you're having fried food in a restaurant, they've probably fried it in soybean oil or something similar. And they've been using that oil for probably a week or two, the same oil. And so though, every time they cook it, it gets more and more oxidized. You get more and more aldehydes in there and you have more and more, basically you're creating a chemical substance that loves to just inflame your tissues. Wow. Yeah. That's horrifying. It is yeah. horrifying. Nobody yeah. cooks with olive oil in restaurants anymore. It's very and, rare. And even cook. olive oil, you can't cook it on high heat. It just, that oxidizes it. Right. It, it's not yeah. as, it's not as unstable as a polyunsaturated, like a right, soybean sure. because it's monounsaturated. So it has fewer of those open bonds. Right. Uh, I'm with you though. I don't put olive oil on high heat. I, if I put it on, on food, it's usually just as is. I might mix it with some butter. If I right. really want that flavor in there, and I'm cooking, keeping still keeping the heat low, but um, but so olive oil and avocado oil are very different from these these other oils. It's much more stable. Yeah, it's much closer to the stability of a saturated fat. Um, but nobody, because of cost, yeah, so much more expensive. Not using olive oil. They used to cook with coconut oil. Yeah, stable and saturated back in the day. Yeah. Popcorn in the movie theaters was made with coconut oil. It tastes McDonald's so used to use co- <laughs> Yeah, co- McDonald's used to use coconut oil. Did they really? 
McDonald's? Wow. Once upon a time. Like right, right. <laughs> Early and then we had this big marketing attack against the the uh, the uh, tropical oils, the coconut and the palm oils. There was this right. big marketing push against them to promote the polyunsaturated fats, the soybean, right. which we can process here because of our large monocropping industry. Yeah. And we have this leftover oils. What do we do with these things? Oh, let's, instead of using them for industrial lubricants like cottonseed oil, let's put them in food and sell them to the public as healthy. Wow. Crisco mm -hmm. was the first product. So 1910, 1920, mm -hmm. cottonseed oil, which was used as a machine lubricant at one point. Yeah. Hey, it kind of looks like lard. Let's tell the public this is better for them and it's cheaper. We'll sell it to them instead of cooking with lard. And that began the whole thing. Then we got soybean, corn oil, canola, which, you know, Canada, thank you. Um, it, it's just... Yeah. So it's an wow. industry and we export this crap to other countries. Right. It's a huge industry. It's, huge a, it's, industry. it's, it's, and it's money making for the, for big food. Yeah. I call it big food too. That's funny. I mean, uh, and it's interesting. 1910. Um, that was also when the, uh, you know, the big pharmaceutical uh, took a major hold. You know, the Flexner report was in 1910. Uh, oh, wow. Rockefeller commissioned the Flexner report because uh, Rockefeller had the monopoly on the petroleum industry. And so he wanted to uh, shut down natural medicine so that he could have a monopoly on petro pharmaceuticals because he had a monopoly on the uh, petroleum industry. Right. Wow. Yeah, so he hired, uh, I think it was Alexander, but it was definitely Flexner was his last name. And it was in 1910. And they, uh, they funded all allopathic schools that had a focus on pharmaceuticals and they defunded uh, any naturopathic um, schools if they didn't have a, a pharmaceutical component. Wow. I didn't know yeah. that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, it was a revolution in our, not a good one, in our yeah. food. And like you said, pharmaceuticals where industry began taking a larger role in government influence i think yeah. and in our and marketing and in our um uh in our lives you know really affecting selling us something that was supposed to be a, a benefit to us and it was when when the traditional method was really um much much healthier for us and much more palatable let's face it i mean right just, you know right yeah sure who so would want to they start cook with tallow instead of or butter instead yeah. of a corn oil based margarine so let's ma manipulate data let's let's pay off some harvard you know phds yep. to, to to uh to write papers that uh you know uh, vilify saturated fats and tell you sugar is not so bad and let's put one of those harvard phds we paid off in charge of creating our food pyramid and that's what happened he ended in 1978, whenever that was, he was on the commission to help build our food pyramid. Who, who was on the commission? I, it was one of the Harvard, so the Sugar Foundation paid mm -hmm. two Harvard PhDs, and I don't remember the names off the okay. top of my head, yeah, but yeah. that's been documented. It's been New York Times, it's been in, in um, the, um, oh gosh, not the, not the British Medical Journal, but I think it was the New England Medical Journal, New England Journal of Medicine. Mm -hmm. I mean, Sugar, Sugar Foundation paid these Harvard guys to create research papers and to and to do 
and to comment and to write papers about these research. And they basically vilified the ones that showed saturated fat was not harmful for heart disease. And then they, um, or the, excuse me, they it held was. up the ones that were saturated yeah. fat was harmful for heart disease. They, mm -hmm. they uh, vilified the ones that showed sugar was detrimental to heart disease and, and health. So they just, so they really manipulated data, wrote mm -hmm. papers at the Sugar Foundation, review their papers before they published them. This is Harvard Department of Health. We're still hearing crap from Harvard Chan's Department of Health. I mean, it's still garbage. Yep. Um, we could go down a whole other line with that. But one of those guys ended up, um, one of those two Harvard professors ended up being involved in creating the, the food pyramid in 1978, which gave us the, you know, let's eat more grains, right. don't worry about sugar. Sugar for a long time, even the diabetic, national diabetics, you know, uh, ADA was like, yeah, sugar's not a big deal. Just avoid saturated fat. Just avoid, I mean, for, for years, through the late 70s and early 80s. And um, it's, it's that pyramid where you eat all, you know, six to 11 servings of grains, seriously. But, but don't eat much meat and don't eat butter and don't eat, you know, nuts. Don't eat whole foods, right. but have these grains. And how do we serve you grains? Who's eating millet at their house? Right. Who's, who's, who's cooking up some millet whole grain? Nobody. There, it's bread, <laughs> it's cereal, right. it's, you know, muffins. Oh, they're fat-free. With lots so, of chemicals. <laughs> lots yeah. of chemicals and stuff we put in there to make them taste good because there's no, you know, no good fat in them. So it's, it's, it, 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 it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but you know, the great book on this is called The Big Fat Surprise by Nina Techholtz. She, oh she, she really unpacked the whole thing very well, but it's called The Big Fat Surprise. So I wanted to dig into that, um, about how the, how we got where we are now, the messaging and the, the studies behind it that were manipulated and yeah. and just poorly done and, and well marketed. One thing they did right or did well, I should say, was was market it and get the and get the government behind it. Because guess who funds our nutrition academy and our USDA? Our nutrition academy is grossly funded by Nabisco, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, uh, you know, all the the, the big the big global food, big conglomerates. Food. Big food. Yeah, big conglomerates and the oil producers and all that kind of stuff. Now, oil as in the food oil producers, you know, yeah, not the, yeah. but, um, you know, ConAgra, all those guys, those are the sponsors for our Nutrition Academy, which creates the education for registered dietitians and, and creates testing and, and gives us, and the USDA, which creates our food recommendations, our food pyramid and our US, you know, uh, guidelines for America, Nutrition Guidelines for America. They are sponsored by big food. They're, that is not even a secret. Right. No, that's, yeah. It's published. Really, yeah. <laughs> Very so, open public knowledge. What's gonna, it's like, you know, it's like pharma funding the FDA. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which was also, uh, the FDA started under very similar, similar like auspices, you know, it was under because uh, the, the competition that was created by things like the uh, refrigerated railways, um, you know. So of course the the butchers were not happy because their their uh, they would, they now had competition, so their prices had to decrease, and they were losing money. And there was a the liquor industry competition um, all around, you know, that time. And so then they they had tried many times, and then eventually uh, they 
put in the FDA, uh, but it was under, originally under like the food, uh, I forgot the other name, the food something act. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it, it failed and yeah, they finally got it through, but it was, it was mostly about, you know, it, it was a financial move much more than it was a, it was a regulatory move really more than it was about the health of what's actually in our food. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh no. It's, it's about how do you fund government better? How do you right. fund government entity so it can yeah. sustain itself and hire, have more, have a bigger hold and control over control. our lives and over, you know, these industries, let's find a reason to vilify something. Let's create a department in the federal government for it and have private industry fund it. And then we'll just flip positions between the corporate entities, you know, heads, corporate heads, yeah. and who sits on that board of that uh, right. government entity. Right. I mean, you know, I, I, I it, yeah. So I'm Monsanto curious. Really <laughs> what, did, what did you say? I said Monsanto has a has a great relationship with our with our FDA. I mean, they just keep, keep yes. swapping out, uh, you know, C suite. The C suite at you know that the, your 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 head your heads of of Monsanto keep coming in and out of the USDA and FDA. It's it's a great little mm -hmm. deal they got going. You know, yep. like banks and the Fed. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very much so. Um, I, I was going to ask you about like what you know, cause the direction that we're going in now, where we're seeing there's starting to be a lot of uh, supply chain shortages, right? Mm. Disruptions and then shortages. Um, and so that's causing a shortage in a lot of the processed foods, actually, is what's mostly right. Yeah. It um, seems to be, yeah. Yeah. You go in the grocery store and suddenly there's an entire aisle missing. Like, what happened to the juice aisle? Did it was there a run on it or just didn't show up that week? You know, just it didn't, like, yeah, it just seemed to have disappeared. Yeah. Um, so it's, but it's interesting because there's a, two directions this could go, right? But the problem is that people have become so conditioned that most people don't know how to survive without these things. Uh, most of you know most of our population is not are not farmers that don't even have relationships with their local farmers and um, they're not familiar with how to be self-sustaining so you know they're dependent um, but on the other hand there is a shortage of these things so I'm curious your thoughts on that like what you think we'll you know we'll see in the future in terms I think of we're going to see a change size. politicians <laughs> because because <laughs> I think we'll survive it. I think people will find food and they'll they'll yeah. because we are naturally resourceful. Sure. And we'll figure out how to get um, go to a farmer's market or go to. Well, that was kind of what I was wondering. Like, do you think people will yeah. now make healthier choices because they might be forced to, or do you think that? Yeah. yeah. That'd no. be a big force. Um, okay. I think some people are seeing seeing the, the benefits of that, but most of us are not really in a, I mean, we'd have to go to someone like a local source like that because most yeah. of us are living in suburbs or living in a city where yeah. we can't suddenly just add a chicken coop to our backyard. Exactly. Start having eggs and throw a, a cow on it to raise for, that's just not, um, we're not, we're not set up to make that kind of switch that quickly. Right, you know? sure. And there's not enough land. Let's face it. Well, I mean, I, have, I don't agree with that. There is enough land. There's not enough land in the cities and the suburbs. There's plenty right. of land outside of it. Out there, yeah. To get yeah. To, no, for each of us to have an interest and then community. I mean, it's you're talking about a change. Americans don't want to change their lifestyle. Yes, that's accurate. Yeah, 
And, they'd rather yeah. they'd rather make a change where they could go back to where that was before. Can we make it? Can we go back two years to where it was before, when the economy was like thriving and we had what we wanted, and you know, our, 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 it worked, and that's the reason why the U.S. is the dominant country in the world because our economy works yeah. and people spend money for things that they want and they work hard to get that money and then yeah. they spend it and they work hard some more and then they spend it again. Right. And there's a rise in trade and, and mm-hmm. cause we want our stuff. Yeah. We want our, we want our food, whatever we choose to eat, we want it. So right. I think <laughs> it's easier to change who's making the decisions and how that's going than it is to change the way we live. But I think people are resourceful. I think they'll, they're, they're going to do what they did last time, last summer. Yeah. They're going to stockpile. They're yeah, going to yeah. fill their freezers right now. They're going to, there's some stuff they're going to have to do without. And they'll probably eat some processed food when they have to, because it fits better in the freezer. Sure. But um, they're, they're going to feel it is what's going to do. They're going to know there's discomfort and let's hope some people, move towards like what you're hoping and I'm hoping is whole food farmers market buying local supporting local producers like that whether it's meat and and dairy or or um veggies and so forth but there's there's places in the northeast or north and northwest where you're not if your fruit and vegetables got to be trucked in from unless you're eating a potato it's got to be trucked in from uh three states away yeah and so um i don't i don't know it's hard to predict what yeah um but i what i what i know is 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 you know this country tends to go from one extreme to the other like this there's a pendulum and uh it's like again it's much easier to to change um who's who's guiding or who's causing that problem and the change, the way we live and inconvenience ourselves. Right. It's much easier to, to change your vote than to change your lifestyle. Yeah. And when you make it hurt enough that people are like, I can't get food in, I can't afford the gas to go drive and get it, drive 60 miles out in the country or hundred miles out in the country to go find maybe a farmer who sell it there or, you know, wherever it is that they, right. they have to do. Um, not to get political about it, but I just yeah. think that's the way Americans are. We like our convenience. Sure. And if you mess with our convenience, we're going to get rid of you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, but we can hope that it awakens people to their health and to want to take charge of that and support mm-hmm. local. Um, uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, ideally, it, 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 it's twofold, right? Hopefully, people do say, hey, I don't like, you know, the fact that other people are steering the ship in a way that's negatively impacting my life. And I also can make choices that, you know, give me a little bit more independence and sovereignty and longevity um, right. so that I'm in a position where I'm not as dependent upon the whims of, you know, the powers that be. So that's kind of, that, that would Let's be hope. my hope. That, that's my yeah. hope. That people that, get a long view of, hey, this could happen again. What can I do to prevent yes. or, to, or to buffer myself against this type of um, people? Many people tend to have short memories. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how much about it. Hopefully there's enough of us who, who, who take it to heart and realize 
maybe I need to make these relationships with local farmers mm -hmm. and support them so they can grow. Yeah. Grow their business, make this more available. Because there are plenty of local, like in our area, we, we both, so yeah. we're both in Franklin, right? I know. Yeah. I was so bummed that I'm not set up yet to do this in person. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I can't do but... any of mine in person either. So, I mean, there's okay. just, there's so many people, most of the people are out of state. Yeah, sure, sure. Or even in yeah. a different country. But um, I, I think... just moved eight weeks ago. So, yeah. So I'm still like setting up, but yeah. To Franklin? Yeah. No, I, yeah. I just moved from uh, California. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I moved, I moved here from there in 97 and you're uh, much smarter than i <laughs> no, a long time ago. <laughs> people then said what what do you do why are you moving you're going the wrong direction why are you moving to tennessee from california no one asked me that question anymore yeah no they're like no you were you made a smart decision you you knew what was up <laughs> oh anyway but but there's a lot of farmer and and like um not just farmers but businesses set up around nashville even though Nashville's this hot, popular place to have your bridesmaid party and to come for a weekend and, and blow it out down on Broadway, yeah, there's a lot of farm uh, businesses mm -hmm. that that supply uh, a variety of of meat and dairy and even yeah. even uh, produce. Tennessee is very favorable to their farmers. There's all sorts of like tax incentives and yes, yeah, and there's plenty of resources for. I mean, you can Google like. Local farming supplies for for meat, dairy, and produce, and mm -hmm. you'll have a multiple selections of grass fed, you know, organic uh, meat, dairy, and and um, and organic vegetables and produce, you know, and it's there's no shortage of it right. within a hundred miles of Nashville. That where you find deliveries at your farmers market, or they have a delivery system set up, it's here, and it's so un underutilized. Yeah. So it really is and so hopefully and i'm and i'm 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 there too i'm mr Cavino. i've got you know four kids and it's like what's for dinner now <laughs> what's for dinner tonight i gotta get right now and so yeah i i agree with you hopefully it changes my habits as well that i'm thinking ahead and i'm supporting yeah, I, i'm more. guilty too for sure yeah <laughs> supporting more low you just got here so you gotta excuse me but i've been here 23 years it's like i i gotta support the local farmers more i mean it's mm -hmm. it's just um those are the people that can really help us if, you know, in, in the case of supply chain, when someone is within hundred miles of you, yeah, like why aren't, why, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself this, mm -hmm. why aren't they more of a priority? Right, right. And where and we they're also not as, so, you know, my whole mission is to get people to take ownership of free will, right? And to take, yeah. uh, take ownership of their sovereignty you know, so we all can make choices that make us more self-sufficient. And right. if we are supporting those businesses, we're less dependent upon the big food industry. Right. So that's, yeah. Or something being trucked in from another state. Yeah, not that too. Yeah, for and sure. And supporting a local business at the same time. I mean, that's just, that's our economy. That yeah. gives back to us. When we support people in our own economy, in our area. Yeah. That that's our community. It helps the community. It helps yeah. us as well. And and, yeah. and, it, and this place is growing like crazy. Yeah, so, Nashville is the number one growing city in the country. It's, yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> Who let the secret out? Who told them? Who told everybody? I mean, you know, I think we're getting some help from like New York, Chicago, and 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 uh, and California. We're getting a lot of help from those, from those from the governors over there, yeah. but uh, and mayors. But um, 
Yeah, it's crazy how many people that I grew up in California are looking at Tennessee. They're either buying land here or they're moving here right now or they've got retirement here and they're just somewhere in Tennessee. They're buying, they're moving. They're looking at Tennessee, they're looking at Texas, they're looking at Florida. They might yep. be looking at Idaho. Yep. But Tennessee is definitely on the map. And people I went to high school with and in the middle of California are like looking at Tennessee's in their top three spots yeah. to look at. Right. And it's blowing me away. I'm like, what? What? Wait, shh, no. <laughs> Our little hidden gem, <laughs> don't tell. <laughs> you know, and the property values are going through the roof, right? But it's just, um, it's amazing that a, 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 a business-friendly mm-hmm. environment, which, which it is, like this, one of the things that attracted me to this area, and I, I know it's a tangent, but I think it mm-hmm. yeah, comes yeah. back to being sovereign and self-sufficient, yeah. is that I could feel feel it, especially compared to where I was was coming from in Central California, it's an entrepreneurial city. It's a city for people who want to create their own business Mm -hmm. and drive their own bus, so to speak. Yeah. It's a a place where whether you're a musician or you're you're just, you're creating, I mean, there's so much industry here. Tech is moving here. Oracle's moving here. Amazon's bringing a bunch of jobs and they're late to the party. We have medical industry. We have not music. We have publishing. 20, I think it's 25% of the GDP in the national area is from entrepreneurial businesses. That's eight or 9% above the national average. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. It is I do amazing. know that Tennessee has a $3 billion surplus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no state income tax. Yeah. So no state income tax, our property taxes, I mean, you compare them to California, New York, or Illinois, or something like that, but they're low. Now, people around in Tennessee, they think Nashville property taxes and Williams County property taxes are high. They're nothing compared to the coastal area. So if you're coming from there, it's it's low. Yeah. Um, So you can make a living and hang on to it. And that was why I moved here. I could make a living in California, make a living and hang on to it. It can get you a long way. Now, our cost of living is going up because everyone's moving here, but we're entrepreneurial friendly. So if you want to come here and either latch on with a with a business that, that's um, with a smaller business or you want to create your own, there's a great environment for that here where it's encouraged and facilitated and people respect it. Yeah. Yeah. And that to me is sovereignty. Yeah. So that's where you, your sovereignty starts. It's like you're controlling your income. Yeah. And, and you, you have an impact in your community. You right. know, it's, it, it, it's not, it's really uh, bottom up, right? So you can see the value and you can see the uh, reflection of what you put into the community and what other people are putting in. You know, it right. doesn't get diluted. Um, right. So I think I think that's huge. You know, people that there is, that there even is a sense of community. You know, that's very much lost in a lot of places. It is, and it's definitely been diluted over the last five years here to some degree. Whereas before, sure. you just knew people every time you you went out, and I could go down to Broadway, and I could park on Broadway, and I'd go into the to to the the a, a, a little place or a music music place, little bar, whatever on, on Broadway. Yeah. And the you know, the manager, the bartender might say hi, or I might know the band that's playing that night. But hey, you know, it was like, that's oh, what it was when I moved here. Now, yeah. we can't go backwards to that. And that's sure. like, I mean, when I moved here, it was like Mayberry coming from California. It, was, it felt like. <laughs> I, I have a friend Frank. who keeps telling me that I moved to Mayberry. That is so well, funny. 
You should have seen it 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I was walking down Main Street, Franklin, looking for a place, and someone stopped me. What are you looking for? Told her, oh, what, three more stores down. It's asked for someone to tell them so-and-so sent you. And I'm like, where the heck am I? Because <laughs> nobody in California, nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody nope. says thank you. Nobody says please. People are calling me sir. I'm like, okay. I noticed that that was such a huge thing for me. Like the first few days that I was here, you know, I, I didn't realize this about myself, but because I, my entire adult life, I lived in New York city and then I lived in uh, LA, oh, Santa Monica. Right. You feel so, rude, right? So yes. And so when I moved here, like I actually noticed, like I would look at people and smile and say, hello, good morning. Yes. And I was like, who am I? And people, people say that and people respond. People no, I felt like that was the rudest person in the world when I moved here because I was coming from California and I lived, you know, I've been some time in Miami and New York, but it's like, I'm like, I'm such a rude jerk. Yeah. Like people are speaking to me out of nowhere. They're, they're being helpful. They're being nice. They're being cordial. They're saying, please, I'm like, what, what, where am I? What a concept. Right. Human yeah. interaction. Yeah, human and exactly human interaction, and that has such an impact on our 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 entire state of being. You know, our yes. overall how you like, carry our yourself, how yeah. you think about your day, how you speak to the next person you encounter, totally. how you deal with your family when you come home, or whatever. Yeah. Who the next person is you see, you interact with, is definitely going to be based on how you interacted with everybody throughout the day. Yeah, and your outlook on life for sure, and something we've been to some degree starved of over the last couple mm -hmm. of years with it's been it's been it's community is necessary for humans yeah so really fascinating i and i actually didn't really know this but your stress can you know because cortisol is inversely uh, correlated yeah. to insulin so yes. stress can actually cause insulin resistance because you constantly pumping out insulin to right and so well, so what happens? Yes. Yeah, so there's a different way. So you know more than I do. I could unpack this and I don't know how nerdy you want to get, but depends I, on so guess, all four. Okay. <laughs> the nerdier, the better for me. Say lack of sleep. So sleep can affect insulin resistance, mm -hmm. um, increases insulin resistance and craving. So if you have like three or four nights of bad sleep, like four or five mm -hmm. hours of bad sleep, four or five hours of sleep, that will elevate your insulin levels. So in fact, they're looking at res doctor residents, you know, like, so these young medical guys yeah. doing the residency, right? They're doing 18 hours of time at a hospital and they're not getting any sleep. And after three or four days, they have the blood work of someone who's pre-diabetic, okay? Mm -hmm. So you have elevated insulin levels, elevated cortisol because you're stressed out. Mm -hmm. right. You're grumpy, you got cravings. You're not getting the fuel because you're, you're you're just basically pumping everything into fat cells if you're insulin that your muscles are saying no okay. nobody wants to be around you because you're grumpy you're hungry and and all you can is what can i eat the most energy dense food and you're craving the donut the pizza the fast food the french fries it's it's you're you're, you're set up for failure right. with, with that lack of sleep that stress now ideally we're in a stressful environment with cortisol. It's like when you work out, you release cortisol, right. okay? Or you're wanting to catch something. You're, you know, you're, you're trying to get get somewhere in a hurt, cortisol. Mm -hmm. That's okay because it gives you energy. Like during a workout, it gives you energy yeah. to get blood sugar. And, and so cortisol. Yeah. the insulin resistance it creates has a purpose because mm -hmm. it means if, if you're, 
because um, cortisol is going to release sugar into your system. It's going to tell your liver to put glucose in your bloodstream. And then it's going to create insulin resistance at the same time so that um, only the muscles that are that need the energy that are working are right. going to be able to absorb that sugar because everything else is insulin resistant. But when you have a working muscle, like in a workout mm-hmm. or you're running or something like that, it doesn't need insulin to pull that sugar in. Right. So it's, great. it's going to create insulin resistance for all the other surrounding tissues so they don't take up that extra sugar the cortisol just caused your liver to release. It's just going to go to the working muscle. So that's a purpose. So something jumps out at you and it's chasing you like a lion or, right, right. Right, or you're hunting and you're trying to chase on your, pre- your prey. Um, you have extra energy for those muscles that are working the hardest. Right. But when we're in traffic or we're in, a, we're, we're, we're in, a, we're in an argument with a relative, Mm-hmm. Or we're in a stressful meeting. Or we're being work, isolated because or isolated. Yes. And your cortisol <laughs> levels are up. You've got no working muscles to absorb that sugar. Mm-hmm. So right. eventually that insulin resistance wears off and you end up storing that sugar as fat somewhere. Right. So it's it just creates this process. But yes, yeah, stress can definitely cause inflammation and insulin resistance and it's temporary insulin resistance. But sure. then that when it wears off, you store that. But if it's sugar, chronic, but I think the problem is if it's chronic, then yeah, you're you're, and you're we were being put in, you know, I, I know like last year when you're, you're about to say in the past two years, you know, we were being very isolated, like, you know, atomized and uh, at least we were, you know, where, where I was, we were completely locked down. It was part of why I started this podcast, podcast actually, um, was because, yeah, <laughs> I wanted to have conversations with people. I wanted to see their faces, you know, um, and uh, that was, I didn't realize, I mean, I personally was really depressed and anxious and it, it was awful uh, it you know human beings are not meant to be in isolated uh environments we're social creatures uh, right. you know and then there were a lot of people who experienced the flip side of that where they had no separation you know people who were married with families like you know and they were constantly they couldn't get on any top of each other Right. Yeah, exactly so it was a, but it was a very unnatural and very heightened stress for a you know chronic uh time you know it was, it right. was relentless chronic, chronic stress chronic and yeah. so the we have the bad eating we have the medicating with alcohol food mm-hmm. or marijuana or drugs depending on where you are you know the, i'm sure the gummy sales went crazy um yeah, sure. <laughs> liquor stores were all open yep hello i mean yes but talk about feeding the, the beast yeah and so you know, you let's put them in isolation. And then the only one of the few places that's open is the liquor store. So let's just keep everybody yeah. medicated. I mean, I made this joke with my mom, like the, the dentists uh, were closed. And uh, as I said to her, I said, so is the idea because the donut shops are open, the liquor stores are open. So are they hoping that I'll be so drunk and my teeth will be so rotten? I won't care. <laughs> like... <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't get this. Why is the dentist closed? I, I, yeah. I'm sure the dentists were wondering the same thing because they're <laughs> like, paying leases. I mean, you know, it's 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 um, nothing makes. I mean, basically. So I heard I, we're, we're gonna go down something. So I heard Robert F. Kennedy mm-hmm. uh, speaking about this, uh, who's brilliant. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Children's Defense Fund, and and he's been very outspoken, and he's been taking a beating from. Mm-hmm you know, media of all, all types oh, because no. of his unspoken stance about the vaccine, about the lockdown, but basically saying we've lost all of our rights that were 
defined, not given to us, yeah. but defined by the Constitution, except for the Second Amendment. But we've lost, churches were closed, free speech stifled. Yeah. I mean, we've had all of our rights taken away except for the Second Amendment, and they're still working on that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he said, out of fear of death, fear of a virus. Yeah. Now, this virus only, you know, we're talking about 1% or depending on what, you, what demographic you wanna look at, 5% is, are dying from it. My demographic, if you want to look at me, I mean, you know, say, say 99.997% likely I'm going to survive, right? Right. That's the death we're afraid of. So yes, illness. I'm not saying it isn't real. I'm not saying it isn't a deadly virus to, to a lot of people because we've seen it. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of deadly things to a lot of people, though. There are a lot of things. We don't shut down and yeah. Right. But he said, what happened to these rights being um worth saving at the fear of that why, why are we not defending these rights yeah in the face of death because the people who gave who, who defined them for us in the constitution faced death yet they found creating you know defining these rights and protecting these rights was more important than the fear of death right and we've lost that yes yeah and they didn't do it for themselves because they all faced death. They probably, the British were gonna, hunt. I mean, they were, many of them suffered for what they did for the constitution for the, and for starting the Revolutionary War. They did it for who was to come after them. Yep, they had everything to lose and they felt freedom was worth more. Worth more than the fear of death for yep. the people to come And after. not just fear of death, but all the things they were gonna lose. I mean, the, the, the Property, our founders were, they had everything to lose. These were not people who were at the end of their rope, you know, where, right. you know, scrambling for life and, you know, living on a, you know, a penny. These were right. people who really, you know, were at the cream of the crop and had everything. And right. they felt well freedom educated. was worth more. It was worth yeah. more to them to fight for freedom and take the risk to lose all of that. Yeah. For the future posterity to, yeah. What example are we setting for our children and what are we setting them up for when we're willing to give up our rights for fear of a virus that, that takes 1% of us or even if it's 5% of us? Yeah. What do we, we just gave up all, all of our rights for fear to and give back to the government. Right. And, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, just for an immediate, what does that do? What does that set our next generation up for? We're not thinking about the next generation or the generation after that. What we're seeing is a progression of of this overreach and maybe it didn't work this time as well but next yeah. time it might but we're setting an example of being fearful when it when did it become cool to trust the government and corporations when did that happen i don't know when that happened yeah <laughs> didn't used to be no but we have set an example for it to, to say this it, these rights are great as long as we're not afraid of anything or the government's not saying hey this is you're, you'll be better off without them because you'll be safer yep we have set the example we have fallen for it now many of us are trying to push back sure. but and, but by and large we spent a year and a half in that state yeah and we are not thinking about the future we're thinking about immediate safety right right for we're your not safety. thinking about what that's creating and what that example is showing, what we're demonstrating for our for our kids 
Right. Put on your mask before you go to school. Put, you know, now we got five-year-olds, we're gonna have climate change as the threat, you know, and climate change could cause heart, you know, we used to use Oh, that, yeah. But I mean, basically on CNN, when they asked, I just saw this last night or two nights ago, asking what's gonna have to happen to bring our economy back? Well, to, and to reduce this inflation and his answer, this government bureaucrat's answer was, well, we'll start by getting the five to 11 year olds vaccinated because that's gonna make everyone more at ease. It's gonna bring people out and put in the workforce. We're gonna get the economy going again. The answer to the economy inflation is vaccinated five to 11 year olds. No, no, it's awful. Yeah. And, 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 five, and, and, and how does that make any sense? How do they make any sense? Are five to 11 year olds, are they somehow in the workforce? Part of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where's the logic in that? How is that going it's to- It's selling fear. And we're laying down, or at least a percentage yeah. of so. And more people are waking up, but there's still people ready to go vaccinate their children. Yeah. And yeah. that is their decision, mandating it. And they're doing nothing to tell people about the things that they could do to lose their immune system, that they could do to mitigate, oh, no. you know, negative, uh, you know, uh, uh, adverse reactions to this virus, right? We, you, as you, you said before, it's like 90% correlation between obesity, diabetes, uh, mm. insulin resistance. These are things that people actually have some control over. They can do something about to improve their chances of not only surviving, but having a, you know, much more mild uh, experience. So, you know, and then there's really basic things, you know, like vitamin D and like vitamin C, things that right. people could, you know, get out of the sunlight. Socialize. Socialization is a huge uh, immune booster. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And yet watch out for Holidays, we'll let you know if you can celebrate if you're vaccinated, right. you can enjoy Christmas. Yeah, okay. So I, I didn't mean to interrupt you earlier, but it's just like, we we flunked this test. Yeah, 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 unfortunately. But I don't think it's all lost. I think there, there are a lot of people lost. who are learning. I think there are a lot of people yeah. who are waking up. Um, yeah. There are but a lot of flunked. people who- Yeah, we were comfortable. We didn't yeah. want to be uncomfortable. Right. We, right. we, we fell for the lie. Yeah. And more people are waking up. And thankfully, we're talking about it where we can. Yeah. But there's a definite push of silencing. When you see people being silenced, like Robert, like, I mean, just actually, even you don't have to be that well known. You can see little accounts on Instagram, little accounts on Facebook being, yeah. you can't even tag them anymore because oh, they said something about it. I and watch. I watch my numbers like in real time be messed with. It's it's really surreal. Yeah. And and they're gonna start doing it. I and mean, with Apple in charge, they're gonna start doing it to podcasts. They're gonna start limiting podcasts. Spotify limiting podcasts. You know, they it, it's it's anytime you see su suppression of information and just an open discourse, open that's yeah. that's freedom of speech. Again, we're losing rights we own, we have because God gave them to us. Yeah. They're recognized by the government. Yeah. Originally, and we've given them up. Yeah. Because they're dangerous. So dangerous. It's dangerous to have that much freedom, is what we're being told. It's dangerous to have that freedom to go to church, to speak out, to 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 meet in public 
Those are all. All right. First Amendment. That's yeah, yeah. actually the First Amendment. <laughs> the whole First Amendment. Let's just throw it out for fear, for fear. For fear. Because of safety, not from an invader, not from an intruder, from a virus with a you know a 99% survival rate. Yeah. I, I I I'm at a loss. Yeah, no, I, I am too. And especially since we've seen this in throughout history. So we're seeing history repeat itself. And I, I think that's one of the things that is uh, the most disappointing yeah. to me is yeah. to see how many people, especially people who are so close to it, you know, a lot of this happened not that long ago. So Hitler and, and tuberculosis, he started with tuberculosis with it. It was a health crisis that he mm -hmm. started. Um, if you want to, you know, just compartmentalizing people, if you want, let's just mm -hmm. leave it at that. And he started segregating parts of his population, it was a fear of tuberculosis. It was a health crisis. That's what he started with. Yeah, when he started yeah. looking into and getting into people's identities and, 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 and segregating certain groups. Right. And it was, a, it, it was a first driven by a fear of tuberculosis. And which is, I mean, it's history repeating itself. You can, you can say, well, they're not the same. It doesn't matter. It's history repeating itself. Totally. Totally. Yeah. That, that's really interesting. Yeah. Tuberculosis was one of the first uh, medical apartheid. Was it? Yeah. Well, it's, it's what Hitler drove his by. Okay. That's what he started okay. with. And then he went into, um, you know, oh, it's, it's the Jews and it's the, you know, the neighborhood. Sure. But, I mean, yeah, the Jews, the diseased, you know, yeah. we had to and cleanse. He, he, and then the greed. And then it's like, oh, they're, and then he started marginalizing them from that right. point. As mm -hmm. some people here are being marginalized, and oh, yeah. let's go after you know, it's it, it's and it's for the common good, and it's let's use fear, right? And but it started with TV, it started with a health crisis. So I don't know which which health history you were speaking of, but that's the one that came to my mind. Well, that's the one of them. It's pretty fairly recent. So I was really yeah. I think there's so many parallels to what happened in Nazi Germany, and mm -hmm. it wasn't that long ago. So I think that's what's kind of just very disappointing is that how quickly people seem to have forgotten mm -hmm. um, and they're allowing the same kinds of things that, you know, the, the same uh, kinds of uh, protocols, the, you know, the Stasi go rat out your neighbor type. Uh, yeah. All of these things that we're seeing are just like a repeat. And yeah. you would think that people would say, Hey, you know, we saw this not too long ago. We're not going to, we're not doing this again. We don't know our history. We don't know. We don't know our history. But we are seeing what I love seeing is that in other countries, we're seeing a lot more people pushing back. It hasn't happened here yet, except for New York, a little bit in L.A. when they put the vaccine mandate in place in, in California, New York mm -hmm. Freedom Rally. They're protesting every weekend and during yep. the week, which is fantastic. Um, but those, those places, it's the most egregious. So the, right. the resistance has to be that much stronger. Yeah. And in Europe, which we're not seeing on the news, but you see it on social media, you see multiple large cities in Italy where you have thousands of people protesting in the street. Yeah. Um, and uh, we see it in, 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 in Holland. We see it in Austria where they just got locked down for all unvaccinated. We even see it in Australia and New Zealand where... And I've, you've probably seen the footage where the, the stormtroopers, those, those police are coming out and they're just literally beating the crap out of them for walking down the street. Yep. They're not burning things. Nope. They're not breaking windows. They're not looting. They're just going slightly too far from their home. 
they're well, and they're, they're when they're protest, they're protesting the, the mandate, the lockdown. They're, yeah, they no, have in sign. Australia though, it's like you have like a in certain places. You do. Certain you have parts, a certain you, have, you can't and go So that's too why they're far. coming after them. They're using an excuse to come after them, but they're as they protest or walk down the street, they're not damaging anything. Oh no. They're just making. They're just out in public together with a sign saying, "Hey, we don't want this anymore." Right. Listen to the public that puts you in office. To, and the police are literally in riot gear, beating them up. And, and and same same in, in Europe and so uh, in many places, yeah. many places, but not every. But we we were too comfortable. Yeah, we're too comfortable, and they finally got uncomfortable enough to get out the streets and risk it. There's, I mean, France, hundreds of thousands for about 17, 18 weeks, weekends in a row now, out in the all over France, right? Yeah, um, protesting this. Yeah. Now we are seeing some great lawsuits here, which is amazing. We Texas just put one forth for the to help protect federal contractors and the medical uh, mm-hmm. medical workers for from the vaccine mandate. They're, they've sued. Yeah. Uh, we see the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has just held up um, the one for private industry for private or private companies over 100. They don't have to, you know, they're not going to enforce the mandate. And that sounds like that's a leto. That's going to stand through the. Uh, Past the Supreme Court, the medical worker is going to be the next big one because now that we see, as we mentioned earlier, if you're unvaccinated and you've survived the virus, you can't spread it. Why do we have medical workers being required to take a vaccine? They've already been exposed to, they've all had it, they've been exposed to it for a year and a half, two years, some of them. And they, 30% of them, like in our area, Nashville, 30% of the medical staff, they don't, they're not vaccinated. They have no intent to, they'll walk off the job. Why they need to be vaccinated if they can't spread it? There's no liability there. They're the, they're the safest people on the planet right now. Yep. If you've had it and you're not vaccinated, you can't spread it. Exactly. They're the safest people on the planet and yet we're going to force a, a vaccine or, or send them away. You can't work here anymore. Yeah. And what happened to, weren't they our heroes last year? I think... Always, right? Yes. This, right? Yes. Yeah, they brave, they brave it, and then we penalize them for it. Yes, exactly. So, I, I, um, I mean, I, th- I hope the lawsuits keep coming. I hope they're, I mean, this is the time to to push back. This is where we're fighting is is in the courts, yeah. which is where it's supposed to be to to use. That's why our constitution's in place, and we have one of the best in the world. And that's why I think that's it's going to work for us. Yeah. Uh, I hope so. I mean, the with, courts with have these not... governors that are pushing back and these attorney yes. generals that are pushing back. Oklahoma did the same thing for Oklahoma. He's like, he put a stay on, awesome. on ascension health care, you know? Yeah. Uh, sorry. And Oklahoma well, has been so quiet. They're just holding the line. They have been really awesome. They're not like loud about it. They just no. say no. Protecting yeah. their people. They're protecting exactly. People. Yeah. Texas is a little louder. We need some loud. We got some Florida loud. We got Tennessee. I think I think Tennessee could be a little louder. I would prefer he was a little louder. I think Tennessee could be a little harsh, like harder. (laughs) But we I think the people are really pushing for that, is what I've seen. Uh, not so much in the cities, but uh, you know, certainly the suburbs and the other areas. A a lot of the people are really uh pushing back and yeah, yeah, they're standing up and saying we we want our rights protected. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome, it's great to see that. And I'm, yes. I'm I'm encouraged by it. I'm encouraged by the lawsuits from the from the from the the local governments, which is how yes. our government is supposed to be All set up. All politics are local. Yeah, and that's the way it's supposed to be. That's why mm-hmm. we have states and we have counties and and 
and, yeah. and, and division of, of, of government and control where we can connect with our politicians more directly as opposed to a, a faraway federal government, which is, it's just, we see that. We see the globalism coming in here. We see, yeah. and we need to get back to a where, we're, where we have governors and governorship with the populace, right? Yeah. And, federalism. Okay. Yeah. Federalism. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. The <laughs> 10th Amendment. Let's, let's restore it. Right. Yeah. Let's restore it because it works for a reason. And, and it, yeah. it works because it connects with people to the politicians more directly. You know, the people who are supposed to be representing them. And because they don't want to get voted out. Federal government's so far away, they can fence themselves in yeah. and isolate themselves and continue to get their their benefits and their and their inside track on on which companies to invest in. So it's um, I mean This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.